0: Exodus chapter 34 from verse 29 to verse 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, people of Israel would see the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. If you look at uh, history, who do you see as the great people of history? Who would be on your list of the greatest ever? If you were a Jewish person, then the person that you might name is Moses. Now there are some others you might name, but probably not. Moses would be the guy. You might name Abraham, but probably Moses. You could name David, Moses. Elijah was a great man. Great demonstrations of the power of God in the person of Elijah. But certainly, he would not compete with Moses. Who would you name? Who would you name? Today we're uh, looking at Hebrews, we're beginning into chapter three, and we're gonna study this text, first six verses of Hebrews chapter three. Here's what it says. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope, there's a lot there. And we have already compared Christ to the angels and said that he's above the angels. And now, we're gonna say, he's even greater than Moses. Now remember, the title of this book is Hebrews. And this letter is written to Hebrew Christians. And these Hebrew Christians, because some persecution was kind of on the horizon, they were anticipating significant trouble because of their association with Jesus they were thinking of playing down their association with Jesus, some of them and maybe instead of church going to synagogue for a while this is appalling to the writer of Hebrews and I can't overstate that." And so this is the purpose. He's saying, what? How can you even think of such a thing? Well, his answer to the question, how can you think of such a thing, is you're not thinking of Jesus, of just who that guy is. So he begins the commandment in chapter 3 is consider Jesus. Now we're going to come back to exactly what that means in a minute. But his, his point is stop and think about Jesus. But he says at the beginning therefore. So he's saying this, he's giving this commandment, consider Jesus, on the basis of what he said in chapter 2 and maybe all the way back to chapter 1, maybe all the way back to verse 1, but he's basing his argument here, consider Jesus, on some facts that he's presented, like Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation. That's at the end of chapter 2. Jesus is the Son of God who has been made flesh so that if you want to be assured that God himself understands your troubles, even your temptations, you just need to think of Jesus who is made flesh, who is made like his brothers in every way, we read in chapter 2. Even so that he was tempted in every way, just as we are. And we talked about how that means in his case, because he always must successfully resist temptation, that actually was longer, harder work for him than any of us have ever given to it. And he was perfected through suffering. The perfect son of God was perfected as a man. How? Through suffering. And we read in chapter two, the suffering of death. And we read in chapter two, the death that atones for our sinfulness. And so he is uh, the, the high priest of our salvation. He's the perfect image of God. And when we say he's the perfect image of God, we mean he's the perfect man. Here's just a little thing when you're reading the Bible. Just, I just want to plant this in your head so that whenever you run across Jesus being described as the image of God. I want you to notice that that is not about his godness, his divinity, his deity. That's not telling you that Jesus is God. That's telling you that he is a man. But the perfect man. Because it is man that is made to bear the image of God into creation. So that we live in fellowship with God and out of that fellowship with God, we exhibit God's nature in the world. That's our calling as human beings. Jesus is that guy. In perfection, at all times, as a man, He perfectly exhibits God's nature and character. We read that in chapter 1. He is the exact representation of his nature. He's a better man than me or you. He's more perfectly human. I'm a broken human. He's a whole human. And he was perfected. He's perfect humanity and perfected. We had a discussion in the discussion time after our, uh, after the message a few weeks ago when we talked about this. Was he not already perfect? What? Sin, what how is the perfect perfectible? Was, we, we read here that Jesus, the man was perfected through suffering. Does that mean he wasn't perfect before he suffered? No. No. And we have to think about the idea of completion, of fulfillment. And when Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, that word is the same as this word, perfected, done, complete. He had a task to complete as the image bearer of God as the man, Jesus, and when he trusts himself to God completely by dying on the cross, it is completed, he's perfected. He is now the utter exhibit of the humility of God Almighty. We serve an almighty God, and one of his qualities is he's humble. And so we talked about the glorious humility that's exhibited in the the person of Christ. We do not anticipate God dying on a cross, that is the opposite of where God belongs. But the writer of Hebrews says, it is fitting. It is fitting. It is utterly appropriate that our God exhibits himself in this way, in the perfection of the Savior through suffering, through the suffering of the cross. This will get your head spinning in a very glorious fashion. It will inspire worship to think about this one. We read in, that in chapter two that Jesus has been exalted above the angels. He was made a little for a little while lower than the angels and now he's been exalted and now is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And if we go back to chapter one, verse one, we read that he is the speech of God. God has spoken in many ways at various times through, in all kinds of ways, through the prophets, Moses being the chief prophet in any Hebrew thinking. He's spoken in all kinds of ways through the prophets. In these last days, he's given his final word and that word is Jesus. It's not about Jesus, it is Jesus. Jesus doesn't speak for God, Jesus is the speech. The Word made flesh. So that when Philip looks at him and says, show us the Father, Jesus says, look at me, and you've seen him. Therefore, (laughs) notice Jesus. How appalling it is that if all of these things are true, that human beings fail to notice. Now we got to stop for a second and notice who uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking to. He says, holy brothers, holy brothers. Now, if we see the word brothers right here, we should be reminded that we've just seen the word brothers in chapter two. When we've read that he is not ashamed to call us brothers. Can't get over that. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. We are the brethren of the Son of God. Well, that makes us God's children as well. Holy brothers, that word holy is interesting. It means sanctified, set apart. We read about that in chapter two. Those who are being sanctified and the one who sanctifies them are from the same Father. Therefore, he's not ashamed to call them brothers. See how that goes together? The holy brethren. We are the children God has given. That's in chapter 2, verse 13. God has given his children to his Son. We read about that all over the book of John. Those whom God has given me come to me. And whoever comes to me, I never turn away. And I don't lose a single one of them. And I will raise them up on the last day. Those people are who is addressed here. The children God has given. We're the delivered people. That whole text in chapter 2 is a exposition of Psalm 22, which you might remember when we talked about it. And there's a, there's a whole class of people that God is called upon in Psalm 22 to deliver, including the Savior of those people who is calling upon God to deliver him. And that's the psalm where we, that Jesus quotes on the cross when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is trusting himself completely to God in the sacrifice of the cross. And God delivers, and God delivers us with him. This is, a, this is huge. <clears throat> then the other way he addresses this group who he's calling to consider Jesus is those who share in a heavenly calling. The word share is literally a word for partner, like stockholder. Those who are partners in the heavenly calling. I'm still working on the significance of that. So there's a calling, and those who are in Christ are part of the partnership of that calling. Wow. It's a heavenly calling. Well, this reminds me of things he said in chapter 2, that uh, it was fitting that the Father, in bringing many sons to glory, would perfect the author of their faith through sufferings. So he's bringing many sons to glory. Well, that's a heavenly calling. That's a heavenly calling. In Christ, we are brought up into the fellowship of the triune God. He, in in chapter two, verse 11, he says he's not ashamed to call them brothers. So this calling is also a naming. I am named the brother of Christ. You are named the brother or the sister of Christ. I think this is also a reference to the congregation in Psalm 22 receive a heavenly calling and there's a, a gathering for worship. So I think when we talk about partners in the heavenly calling, we're talking about where the calling is from, the right hand of the Majesty on high, And where the calling is to, the fellowship of the right hand of the majesty on high. And so all through the book of Hebrews, we're going to see this time and again. We are the people of Christ are gathered into the fellowship, the divine fellowship, the eternal fellowship of the triune God and their enjoyment of each other, and their fellowship together, their partnership in all things together. The Trinity is sometimes described with this word perichoresis. Peri means around. Choresis means dance. And so we learn that the Trinity, each person in the Trinity is a person, and they possess all there is of God, but the Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father or the Son. There's three persons, but they share one nature. There's only one God. Uh, our minds are blown already, and when we talk about this, one we think one of the words we need to use in a in a sound understanding of this to the extent we can understand it, is this word, perichoresis. And that means that whenever any one of the persons of the Trinity acts, the others act as well. They're always dancing around one another. There's an intimate coordination in the working of the persons of God in their unity. They're, they're one. They're perfectly one. Jesus says, I pray that they may be one like you and I are one. Oh my goodness. That is Jesus referring to the gathering of his people into the great unity, oneness of God Almighty himself to join in the fellowship, the partnership of the Trinity itself we are. Are those people in Christ? Now he says, Look, holy brethren, partners of the heavenly calling, stop! I'm trying to get the idea of consider. It's a word. That means, take notice. Take notice, this is the commandment, consider Jesus. Here's something I can observe about myself and therefore I project it onto all of you. I believe it's true of you too because I really don't wanna be the only guy this way. Most of the time, I entirely forget about Jesus. I am really busy thinking of almost anything else. I need this reminder. I can very easily forget all about Jesus and think something I'm doing might be important. (laughs) Or some way that someone interacts with me might, well, I can be completely distracted by that. I've shared this before, I can be completely distracted by calling my bank on the phone and they're not acting exactly the way I need them to act. And it's very easy for me to be completely distracted. And I need to remember i am one of the holy brethren i am a partner in the heavenly calling i need to just stop and consider jesus i think no matter what no matter when no matter how long i have been considering jesus the thing i need is to consider jesus all the time all it, Even right now, while I'm kind of considering Jesus, I need it deeper, longer, better. Because it is the root of life. This is what Jesus was talking about when he says, abide in me. Abide in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing you're if you're not in Christ you're dead and those of us who are in Christ the thing the thing the thing at all times is consider Jesus this is why I've already said in preaching through Hebrews we're only in chapter 3 and I'm going to say it a bazillion more times you're going to get tired of me saying this Whatever your problem is, your problem is inadequate attention to Christ. This is the thing, the thing, the thing. And he says, pay attention to Christ. Consider Christ the apostle and the high priest of our confession. The apostle, an apostle is the sent one. He's not an apostle. He's the apostle. He's the one sent by God. This is what we read repeatedly in the book of John. This was the way Jesus identifies who he is in the book of John. I've been sent. I'm the one sent. I do the things the one who sent me tells me to do. If you believe in the one who sent me, his, his relationship to God in the book of John, one of the, its primary features is he's the apostle of God the sent one he's the prophet of our confession he's sent with the message of our salvation he's sent with this thing which we now confess agree homologia it's to say the same so jesus came to announce something and we say what he announced we claim it as our own we confess it we trust in it. <clears throat> our confession is the content of our faith. And he's the high priest. I'll tell you, if, we, if he's only the apostle, the only thing he can announce is our doom and judgment. I'm going to say that again. If he's only sent by God to announce the word of God, if that's all he is, we are just judged. That's all. But he's the high priest of our confession, and what we confess is our salvation, not our judgment. Because he announces salvation, but he doesn't just denounce it, he provides it. As our high priest, he's the one who makes the sacrifice that brings us before God. He's the one that presents us to God. He's the one that makes us presentable to God. He's our high priest, our sacrifice maker. So we confess Christ. We confess Christ. So he's the one who brings the message we confess. He's the one who uh, atones for sin so that we can make our confession, and he is the one we confess. The Word of God. Think about it. However hard you've been thinking about it, you could think about it harder. And if you do, if you stop and consider Christ, it will turn you inside out and upside down and upright. Just as you need to be turned. When we trust in him, we are transformed. So he goes on. I don't know if we're going to make it through all of this, but we'll see how we go. So he says, consider him who was faithful to him who appointed him. Too many hymns. Consider Jesus who was faithful to God who appointed Jesus. Appointed him apostle and high priest. And Jesus was faithful to God, just as Moses also was faithful. So now we've introduced Moses. And we notice this sort of a comparison. There's nothing to denigrate Moses in this text. So uh, it's presented like this. You know how great Moses was. Jesus is greater still. Moses, it's hard to imagine a person more in touch with God than Moses. Nope. there simply is not a single one. In all the history of the world, no one is more in touch with God than Moses. God visited Abraham a couple of times. God sat down and chatted with Moses. That's the point of that text we read, and that's the point of the text (laughs) that is referenced here, where it says, Moses also was, quote, faithful in all God's house. That is not a line composed by the writer of Hebrews. It's a line composed by Moses. And you can find it in the book of Numbers, chapter 12, verse 7. You know what happened? In Numbers, chapter 12, it is a crazy story. I'm telling you, you should go read it. What happened was Moses married a woman, a Cushite woman, we read. Miriam and Aaron didn't like that woman, partly because she's a foreigner. So Miriam and Aaron, Moses' sister and brother, are gossiping. They're doing that. You know what I'm talking about, right? Leave that woman. That did not please God. So God comes down and he says to Miriam and Aaron and Moses, come on over to the tent of meeting. I've got something to share. So they come together in the tent of meeting and God says, you know, there are prophets that receive a word from me. And share that word. And then there's Moses. Who I meet with face to face. That's where this line comes from. When God says that. And then I'm not going to tell you how the rest of the story plays out. You just have to go read Numbers 12. But God says this about Moses. Moses is not just any old prophet. Moses is the one who meets with me personally. Nobody in the history of the world is more in touch with God than Moses. God said so himself. So we read this. Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also Faithful in all God's house. That was the line, the description God used to describe Moses. He is faithful in all my house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. So both Moses and Jesus were faithful in God's house. Moses met with God face to face. Jesus is the face of God. Oh, that's different. If you wanted to ask the question, whose face was Moses looking at? He was looking at the Son of God, the eternal pre-incarnate, Son of God, that when he met with God face to face. We know this because John says no one has seen the Father at any time. Jesus, his Son, reveals him. So, (laughs) he goes on. He says Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Jesus is the reason for the glory of Moses. If you want to know whose shine was on the face of Moses when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, it's the shine of the Son of God, who is the radiance of his glory. Okay. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory, just like a builder of a house has more honor than the house. And we might wonder about that, you know. I, I might know a famous house and not know the name of the builder of the house. But he goes on to make his point. He says, for every house is built by somebody, but the builder of all things is God. Jesus is God, the builder of all things. We already know that from chapter 1. Through whom he made everything. So, Jesus... Greater than Moses. Moses is part of the house that Jesus is building. Hmm. Now he goes on. He says, Faithful in all God's house. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Okay. Christ is faithful, not in God's house, over God's house, not as a servant, as a son. See the difference? Moses is faithful as a servant, Jesus is faithful. Over the house. He's the authority in the house. And he's the son. Hmm. Okay, well, people have servants in their house nowadays. Some people have servants in their house and children in their house. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. The honor of the servant; they might be a very faithful servant, and therefore come to receive great honor from the owner of the house. But the son is also the owner of the house. It's a difference. Now, it's interesting here. The word for servant is a is a religious word. Um, in uh, in some churches, even today, we have. Uh, we have a priest, and we have acolytes, attendants. So if you were to go to a Roman Catholic Mass, the priest would be offering the service, and he's he's really a priest in the way they think, so he's offering actually the body and the blood of Christ for real, right there. And he has attendants, people who... Serve him so that he can serve the Mass. Typically, kids do this. They're acolytes, they're attendants. That's the word here in the Greek, it's uh, theraton, it, it, it means attendant. Moses is that in the house of God. Jesus is the Son. Now we also know already, right, because it's right here, he is the apostle and high priest. So Jesus is the priest that Moses serves in the house of God. Hmm. And Moses served for a particular reason, for a a testimony of things to be spoken later. What is that? What is the testimony of things which were to be spoken later? Well, what is spoken in Hebrews? You remember from chapter 1? What is spoken in the book of Hebrews is Jesus. Jesus is the speech of God to end all speeches of God. He is the speech, the very incarnate word of God. So Moses testifies to Christ. Now, Hebrew Christians in this day and age when this was written, they all knew that. In fact, all Christians knew that. The scripture that we used for the purpose of preaching Christ was the scripture that the writer of Hebrews uses, Psalm 22. Old Testament, And now he's saying, and Moses too. Well, that's what Jesus said, right? He said it in in John. In John chapter 5, verse 46. He says, if you believed Moses, you'd recognize me because Moses wrote about me. So this teaching... Uh, that Jesus is the subject of, of Moses' writings comes from Jesus himself. You know, you remember that story when <clears throat> these guys, after the, after the cross and the resurrection, <clears throat> they had decided, I'm going home. So they were <clears throat> heading home, and this guy comes along and joins them walking on the road. It's Jesus. But he somehow disguises himself so they don't recognize who he is. And you know what he did, right? He opened the scriptures. Well, what scriptures would those be? Well, none of the New Testament scriptures existed yet. They're the Old Testament scriptures. And he explained to them from the books, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, it says, All the things that they had come to see in Christ, he explained to them from the Old Testament, from the books of Moses. Moses is for a testimony of things which would be spoken of later, namely Jesus. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 8, Paul writes to the Galatians that when he met with Abraham, when God made Abraham the great Abrahamic prophet uh, uh, promise that all the nations of the world would be blessed through the nation that comes from Abraham, you know how Paul describes that in the book of Galatians. He says, God preached the gospel to Abraham when he said that. The gospel of who? Jesus Jesus is the subject of Moses. Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant for a testimony of things which were to be spoken later. Now, uh, we're going to have to stop right there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. cuz we're really out of time but <clears throat> where we where we go next is Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and then the closing of this paragraph and we are his house oh Oh, we are his house. And next time we'll talk about who is we? (laughs) Because that's kind of an important question. And he identifies who we are when he says, We are his house. So this morning, we stop as we do every week, and we stop to consider Jesus. Now, We can learn a lot from the scriptures about how to live, about practical principles of life. Uh, there's plenty of stuff like that in the Bible to learn and to practice. And we can learn the commandments of Christ. We can learn to be obedient. We can uh, train our psychology even from the, from the scriptures. None of that is the primary point of the scriptures. And so the primary point of the scriptures is Jesus Christ himself. And so the thing for us uh, believers is, is not the, the particular practices that we might engage in. Though those are not meaningless. But the thing is Christ and as I mentioned, I don't, I don't think it really matters how long you've been practicing thinking of Jesus. You're not good enough at it yet. And so the thing you need, whatever else you need, the thing you really need is Christ. And the thing you really need to think about is Christ. And so Paul says, pray without ceasing all the time, what we're trying to do is learn how to live our lives in the context of our fellowship with God in Christ by the Spirit. So that I'm coming from there, wherever I go. That's the thing. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Father, we give you thanks for this word. We know that in Christ is life itself. He is the prize. Lord, we pray that by the spirit and the word and by the encouragement of one another, we would be more and more wrapped up in the person of Christ. That our lives would flow from that great source. Lord, we thank you that you didn't just leave us to rot in our sinful state. You have gathered us to be holy brothers, to be partners in the heavenly calling. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.